Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the morning services. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. Reading this morning is taken from Ephesians chapter 2, starting to read from verse 11 to 22. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth, and called uncircumcised by those who who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. It's wonderful to have you join us this morning at Emmanuel. Let me add my welcome to that of Ben earlier. If we haven't met, I'm John Adams. I'm the vicar here at Emmanuel Church. And I think this morning, uh, if you were in this building, you'd know that there are a couple of technological challenges that have been, um, um, have been uh, wonderfully um, dealt with by our team. A wonderful opportunity to add again my gratitude to the tech team for making all these things happen. If you haven't personally thanked some of the members of our tech team for all they've been doing over these past few months, why not make this week the one where you send them an email or a message to say a big thank you. I wonder uh, if you're a fan of James Bond. Somehow the clever algorithmical Gremlins at uh, Facebook have decided that I am, and to be honest, they're, they're quite right. I've always loved the Bond films, and in recent weeks, 
um, when I should have been doing much more worthy things like reading a scholarly tome or something, I've actually spent my time just before going to bed uh, watching clip after clip uh, from these wonderful uh, action movies. Perhaps my favorite ones are the ones that often come up uh, in every one. There's a compulsory part where James Bond goes and sees Q, the ever-present Q. And he gets briefed on the latest car or gadget that uh, he's been armed with. That's the moment where you, you come across for the first time the DB7 that has a passenger ejector seat activated by a red button in the, in the gear stick. Or Pierce Brosnan's phone that um, has fingerprint recognition with which you can somehow get into an impregnable security vault. Or the pen that explodes famously after three clicks on the end and so forth. It's part of the great drama of the films. And what happens, as those of us who've watched them a number of times, is pretty predictable. Bond always gets himself stuck into some completely intractable situation. And we all think he's completely had it until that moment where he suddenly remembers that he has this piece of kit, which unbelievably, invariably saves our hero's life. If you're a Christian person this morning, I wonder whether you need to remember what you have. I wonder whether you are fully aware of what you have been given for your good. Today's passage, uh, first in in three uh, sections of this book of the Ephesians that we're now uh, preaching through, begins, verse 11, therefore remember, therefore remember, Here is the Apostle Paul speaking to uh, Christians in a city of Ephesus. It's in the south of modern-day Turkey. And his aim is not so much to tell them things they didn't know before, but to get them to remember, to make them aware again of something they already know, namely of all the amazing benefits that they have in Christ Jesus. And I'm praying that for us as a church, as we embark on this wonderful tour, this inventory of the benefits of Christ, and then move on to chapters three and four in the coming weeks to consider all that that means, not just for us individually, but as a church. We're going to be gripped afresh by the amazing purpose of God that he wants to bring about in us through Christ, and that we would be strengthened and encouraged to live that out. Two things for us to remember today. Number one, Christ is our peace. And secondly, Christ is our cornerstone. So first of all, Christ is our peace. Christ is our peace. Let me read from verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. Now, to understand where these verses begin, we need to think ourselves into a situation of bitter rivalry or animosity between two groups. Still new to things here at uh, Croydon. I still haven't spoken to many of you uh, face-to-face. 
One thing I have picked up, though, is that Crystal Palace has a very strong place in many hearts here. So I want you to imagine, perhaps, the M23 derby, or the A23 derby, whatever you want to call it. Palace versus Brighton. There are the Eagles supporters still seething at Alan Mullery's 1967 bad-mouthing on national television. And there are the Seagull fans still calling to mind what they deemed very debatable refereeing on that occasion. And what do you think of that ingrained, deep-seated division? Because that was the kind of tribalism that there was in Paul's day, although on a much deeper level. Uh, Ephesus was largely inhabited by Greeks. Greeks lent on their cultural heritage. They were very proud of that. And they liked to look down on all the outsiders, pagans, they would call them. And the Jewish people, of whom Paul was one, uh, they had the great privilege of being the descendants of Abraham, right at the sharp end of God's purposes over the years. But they weren't known for looking out to share those wonderful blessings with other nations, even as God had intended. And so there was this deep division. And to think that these two groups, these Gentiles and Jews, arrayed like two groups of angry fans after a controversial match, to think that they could somehow make peace, to think that they could unite, to reconcile, to become one, well, that was frankly unthinkable. And yet this, Paul says, is what Christ had achieved. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Now, how did Christ achieve this peace, this peace with one another? Well, it's explained there in verse 15. He did it by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. Now, what does this mean? Jesus set aside the regulations. If you know anything of Jewish practice, you may know that the Jews had a load of unique ceremonial practices, practices that set them apart from other nations. So for example, they had complex temple rituals concerning what sacrifices could be offered and should be offered to God. And only the Jews had access to the temple courts. So Jesus' message was effectively this. Look, all those sacrifices that you are used to giving, you Jewish nation, they were shadows of a bigger sacrifice. That's the sacrifice of myself on the cross. That's what Jesus was saying. He was saying to them, look, with me those things are finished. To be reconciled to God, Jews and Gentiles, they're on a level playing field. Both need me and me alone. There's no difference. Jesus also set aside the condemnation of the moral law. Jesus, he didn't do away with the moral law. I mean, if anything, he, he kind of strengthened the basics of right and wrong, of loving God and neighbor. But when he died on the cross, he also bore the awful weight of guilt that we should suffer for failing to keep those laws. So he took the condemnation on himself. He took the condemnation for Jew and for Gentile. One of the amazing things about the cross, therefore, is that it is the great religious and moral leveler. It shouts out the same thing to everyone. It says everyone is a sinner. Every one of us, every person deserves God's condemnation for what we've done wrong. But the cross also cries out, everyone 
may receive forgiveness. It declares forgiveness is available for anyone who would believe, and always on the same basis, on the free grace of God. In that way, Jesus set aside the regulations of the ceremonial law and the condemnation of the moral law. That's why Paul could say Christ is our peace. He's peace between Jew and Gentile. Now, if you've followed me so far, very well done. Not least because you may be wondering, what has all this got to do with me? I mean, I think it's probably not a great uh, revelation that Jew and Gentile divide is not a particularly live issue for us here in Emmanuel Croydon. But how about if I ask the question slightly differently? Are there really no cultural divisions amongst us as a church? Is it really true that the relationships between black and white are just as strong as those between white and white? Do the young in our congregation delight in being joined with the old? Are the older ones amongst us eagerly stepping out towards the young and their culturally very different world because they are part of the same single body of Christ? We live in a country famous for its rigid class structures. Are there those kind of divisions in our church? Well, as far as unity across different cultural backgrounds and racial backgrounds is concerned. I'm so grateful to Ben Jones in, in taking a lead on our conversations about race last term. Let me remind you, he, he committed us to keep those things on the agenda, to encourage us to work towards greater representation in our, our services and our leadership. And I'm really sorry that the restrictions of the current time mean you're getting an unusually heavy dose of middle-aged white men. It will not always be thus. But as far as relationships across the generations, I also want to say, in the short term I've been here, I've seen wonderful relationships between generations. But I'm asking myself, have I not also seen some hostility in between the generations? Well, I certainly haven't seen anything openly hostile. But perhaps there is a separation in places. And it's not easy, is it? You know, I know we live in a time where Cultural change is so rapid, it's, it's harder than ever to connect with those who are not of our generation. But whatever it is, let us not become divided. Wherever the tensions may be, in a world that is ever more fractured and divided, and goodness knows, we know that from our news today, don't we? Consider this amazing picture of God's purposes for us. Verse 15, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. I wonder if we as a church can be a beacon of the kind of single, united humanity that our world needs. And you know, this may be a good moment uh, to just say a little bit about how we're doing our, our morning services. I know that the blend of uh, different styles in our morning services. It doesn't press everyone's buttons at the same time. But it is, and this is why I want to continue doing it, it is a wonderful way of expressing our unity across difference. So whatever you prefer, whether you prefer the formality or the informality, whether you prefer hymns or contemporary worship, whatever it is, I hope you still celebrate the other thing. Because 
it draws you into worship with others who are not like you. It gives you an opportunity to show that those who are once two or three or four different groups have indeed in Christ become one. And all this because Christ is our peace. Christ has enabled peace with one another. Now, that's the biggest thing, biggest part of what I wanted to say uh, this morning. But before I go on, I, I don't want to miss the second direction of peace that is captured in these verses. Let's have another look at that second half of chapter 2, verse 15. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. The people who are far away, the Gentiles, those who are near, the Jews. Now, we've spoken so far about horizontal peace, if you like. But the cross only achieves that horizontal peace, peace between one another, because it achieves vertical peace. Through Christ, we're reconciled to God. wonder when the last time was that you'd fallen out with someone. Uh, perhaps you'd said an unkind word or you'd been thoughtless with your spouse or a friend or a family member or a colleague. Just think back to what it was like. There was a, there was a divide, wasn't there? A bitterness, a debt. And actually, no amount of being in the same room or just collaborating or just pretending it's fine could undo that breakdown. Well, such is the consequence of our sin towards God. The sin is to go against God's will, whether deliberately or thoughtlessly, and it breaks our relationship with God. It breaks the ultimate relationship for which we have all been made. And it sets us against God. And without Christ, that is a desperate, universal predicament for each one of us. But, Going back to that experience of falling out with someone, perhaps you also had the joy of reconciliation. Perhaps you had that, that moment when the anger and the bitterness were suddenly gone, and how sweet it is. Perhaps you were able to ask for forgiveness and it was offered to you, or, or perhaps it was just in the unspoken and yet now really obvious move back towards you. you. You knew once again that relationship was reconciled. Well, so it can be with every person and God. On the cross, Jesus bore the agonizing consequences of our sin. It was a great exchange that took place. He suffered what we should have, and so we now have the possibility of a relationship with God that only Jesus truly deserved. All the barriers, all the difficulty, all the guilt is removed. And this, I believe, friends, it is our deepest human need, even deeper, actually, than the the need for human love to be reconciled with God. And so Paul says, verse 18, for through him, that's through Jesus, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Now, this is the amazing privilege of believing in Christ. We have access Imagine that, access to the throne room of God himself. And 
What kind of access? Well, not the kind of whimpering scratch, scratch on the door, which on some occasion the Almighty might possibly deign begrudgingly to open. No, full, confident access. Access that comes from knowing we are at peace, completely at peace with God. There is nothing between us because of Christ. I wonder if you're a believer this morning, do you need reminding that you have access? If you do not yet believe in Christ, if you have not put your trust in him, do you not long for that peace, that confidence? You know, if you still, despite the cross, and despite believing, find yourself wondering today whether you'll be allowed in, I want to say to you, take confidence. Christ is our peace. So Christ is our peace. That's the, the big section here. But secondly, and more briefly, Christ is our cornerstone. Now, I need to say at this moment, there is so much in these verses that I haven't had a chance to speak about uh, this, this morning. I do hope that in your small groups, you're going to make the most this week of exploring that further. But I, I do think this one point is worth touching upon now. The passage, as we began, uh, begins, remember that formerly, as in in the past. And, and it goes on to say, but now, in verse 13. So it, it's a basically, it's a before and after portrait. But the contrast that is drawn here is not so much about how much weight they've lost or, or hair they've regained or how much whiteness their teeth have recovered. The great contrast for the Ephesians is, is there in their relationship to Christ. So at the beginning of the passage, it says, verse 12, that they were separate from Christ, without hope and without God in the world. That's the before. Separate. But what is the after? Where are they now in relation to Christ? Well, move on to verse 19. Let's follow it from there. Consequently, verse 19, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The picture here, as we've already been wonderfully introduced to uh, by Peter and Grace this morning, is is a building. And the cornerstone, as Peter so beautifully illustrated for us earlier, is that stone that sits on the ground directly underneath the corner of the building. Foundations are vital, aren't they? And this is the most vital piece of those vital foundations. You take it out, the whole building falls down like a pack of cards. And Christ, for the Ephesians, has gone from being absent all the way to being utterly cornerstone fundamental. And if you're a Christian this morning, that is true for you. It's true for you individually. What must you and I build our lives upon? It must be Christ. Let me ask you, is Christ the cornerstone of your life? Is he the foundation on which everything you do and are is building? But the message is not just about us individually. It's about us corporately as well. For us as a church, what is the most important thing here? 
If someone from outside were to join our live stream this morning, and if you are from outside, you're very welcome. It's fantastic to have you with us. Would you say, would they say, yes, here, here is a group of people who are building above all on Christ. And if that same person was to come and look at our home groups, our small groups, and our friendships, our prayer meetings, our big ticket events, our youth ministry, the Rock TV, whatever else, would they say, oh yeah, the cornerstone of all of these things, I can see it, it's, it's Christ. Everything that these people are about is founded on Jesus. That is to be our goal. That everything would rise up and hold together in Christ. Now I know saying that uh, begs the question, well how do we do that? And we've got little time to explore that now. Just a, a couple of pointers here. But do explore this further, perhaps in your small groups. Number one, we've got to know the Bible. You may have noticed that Jesus isn't the only foundation mentioned here. It talks about the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And I think that's a shorthand for the authors of the New and Old Testaments. They're vital because it's through them that we come to understand Christ. So we need to know our, know our Bibles. Second, we need to be connected. There's a wonderful picture here where we're all stones in the construction. And of course, stones in a construction need to be joined together so that they stand. And then third, and let's not miss this, we are to become a dwelling of God's spirit. Lots for us to explore here in personal study or conversation or in small groups. His spirit is how we are joined together. Christ is our cornerstone. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, that thought that Christ is our cornerstone does make me want to sing, and we shall do so in just a moment, and you can imagine what we might be singing too. But before we do that, I'd like to return to our first point. We've been thinking about peace and unity. And one of the ways we often express uh, that peace in the church when we're here in the building is by sharing the peace. Now, we obviously can't do that in person right now, but we thought we could try a virtual version. So we've asked a few people to record a, a little peace message. And whilst that happened, why don't you engage? Uh, uh, go on, come on the chat bar. You could say peace or peace be with you or love to everyone at Emmanuel. Offer a sign of peace to those people you're watching with if you're with others this morning. And let's do that now as a declaration that even though we are scattered, even though we're different, today we are at peace one in Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week.